everybody. Welcome back to the Latch Mama podcast. Uh, it is a wonderful day in Richmond, Virginia. Leaves are changing. Weather's nice. Um, and things are really good at Latch Mama. But exciting news. Today on the Latch Mama podcast, we are speaking with Megan Swank, who is a pelvic floor specialist, physical therapist specialist. Is that right? Do you want to? Good. That's yeah, good. Good. Okay, good cool. Job. All right. I got close enough. Um, and we are going to talk all things pelvic floor today. Well, not all things because we would be here a very long time. But we are going to hit on some of the top questions that we get um, as a brand and as a community on kind of pregnancy, postpartum, um, and questions that people have sent our way in terms of pelvic floor health. You're listening to the Latch Mama podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Wirt business owner and tired mom of five. Join us each week as we talk about pregnancy, nursing, parenting, and all things motherhood. So hi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I know with COVID and stuff, uh, people's schedules are a little wonky, so we appreciate you being here. Schedule is constantly wonky, so this is normal. (laughs) I love it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into physical therapy or how you started focusing on pelvic floor health or pelvic health? I've been a physical therapist for over 13 years and uh, did my education at the University of Delaware, okay. which is a doctoral degree, which most of the programs are, and came back to Richmond, which is where I lived before, and started working for a private practice in town, worked there for eight years, and then I moved to VCU Health, which is where I am now. And the specialty, it has evolved significantly since I started working. We definitely have changed our focus from mostly women to now everyone and every gender and every age. At least at VCU, we definitely treat everyone from about five to 95 and and all genders. Wow. So there's a lot of things going on. Um, The day is very varied. Have you seen, like, I know you said the specialty has changed. I know I'm on, I was just had baby number five I didn't know anything like I'd never even heard of pelvic floor physical therapists back in 2012 or 13 or even 14 when I was having my first couple of babies is it is there more talk about it more education I think there's more people talking about it I also think that some of the changes we've done as far as bringing men into the picture and treating male pelvic floor, as well as treating the trans- transgender patient, mm-hmm. that has bar- brought some conversation forward. And I think we're talking about it more. There is definitely a struggle in our field with keeping the focus on women, which was the original reason that this sort of specialty was started. So that we've got some older providers that are kind of you know retiring and moving out up and out into non-clinical roles and our that was how they were trained was to treat women. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect between the older and the younger therapists right now. Okay. And I feel like I'm sort of in the middle because I can see both both mm-hmm. of those. But but right now things are changing and there's no other specialist out there in our physical therapy field that treats men or treats the transgender client for a pelvic floor problem so that we are doing that because we are the best, you know, provider to do that. We didn't forget about our ladies, but, and that's definitely our biggest population, but it's sort of including, it's being a much more inclusive group at this point. 
do you know, like, give me a little bit of insight. You know, we talk a lot at Latch Mama about how a woman has a baby and then suddenly kind of the baby becomes the consumer or the baby becomes the focus and the mom's kind of forgotten a little bit. And I know especially like that a lot of care providers really don't interact with their patients until, you know, they have their baby and then they don't see anybody again until, you know, six weeks later. Um, are there certain questions that a woman should be asking her OB at that point in terms of like progress or how is she supposed to be feeling? Let's just start at the very, very kind of top, like, Hey, what's normal? What's not normal? What? And I hate use, I hate to use that term or, you know, what, what, you know, where do you normally see people coming to you? Those are probably two completely different questions, but I, yeah, everywhere. I think the I think the onus should be on the provider. Absolutely. Honestly, patients don't know what's available to them. And that's why things like this podcast are so fantastic, because people will listen and they will say, well, no one ever talked to me about pelvic floor. And I've had five children. Absolutely. For example. Yeah. No, I, I got I got a good blurb yeah. last last pregnancy for my midwife. I have a great care provider. And I'm yes. not saying that she never talked about it, but it didn't come up. I had a really, really bad upper respiratory infection throughout pretty much my entire pregnancy to the point where I was wearing those Depends from, you know, uh, probably 20 weeks on because every time I coughed I was peeing and she was like hey time out hey when this if this doesn't stop when you you know when you have the baby like you know you need to go explore this or something so, so you could have come to see us during your pregnancy you don't really need to, yeah you don't need to wait we do pelvic floor work with patients who are pregnant if there's no reason not to if you're not high risk and you're not having bleeding or complications we do pelvic floor work we have patients that have pain who need to learn about pelvic muscle stretching and relaxation and they still want to have sex while they're pregnant and they still are thinking of having a vaginal delivery. How is that going to go if they have muscles that aren't relaxing? So that person is at a high risk for tearing. Okay. So we work with those patients too. So we see it, we see through the whole continuum. So I think there is a little bit of a lack of knowledge of what the physical therapist is, is doing, mm -hmm. what we do as far as your prenatals, your labor and delivery prep. You know, we don't just see patients for aches and pains and stress incontinence and things like that. We see patients for just general preparation as well. And then we, we should really see every patient for a a postpartum check that would be great but we're not doing that right now and okay. we're working on it okay as a, as a community of pelvic health pts we are working on it so oh god i just feel like there's like this mountain there's so a much mountain a mountain it's like which direction do i go well as there's you can so, see from my it's last so much question, opportunity was, in yeah, one way absolutely. right absolutely because it it's great because there's so much there's like i was just talking before we started this is like I didn't want to do a whole lot of research because I wanted to come in feeling as, you know, unknowledgeable as I actually do and just say, hey, you know, what what is normal? What's not normal? Let's talk a little bit about I know for me, I'm going to go with like what I would what why I have never gone to a pelvic floor therapist. Let's start there, because after five vaginal births, I'm pretty sure I could use some pelvic floor therapy. My first thing. Talk to me a little bit about the initial visit. Is it, is there an internal component to it? Is it, you know, talk, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yes. Um, pelvic health PTs do a really great job of taking a huge subjective inventory and okay. not everyone has the same amount of time to spend with their patient. I have a lot of time. So we have a long list of things. We want to know about your medical history, your medications. We want to know about your births, you know, 
and we asked the details. What kind of delivery? How big was the baby? Did you have any trauma? Did you have a tear? Did you have episiotomy? How long did you push? We want to know all of that. We want to know about scars. We want to see your scars. We want to touch all of it. Yeah. Um, we want to know about um, your history of depression or anxiety. We want to know about your fears with pregnancies. We want to know about all of those things, your family support. We want to know about your exercise, your diet, what are you drinking, all of it. There's so much that we want to talk about. Okay. So we ask all those questions and then it helps us decide what do we need to actually test. So, you know, sometimes if we have, for example, a running patient who wants to get back to, you yeah. know, running after, you know, having a child or several children, there's a certain regimen of tests that we'll put that person through to see what is the stability of their pelvis and their limb strength so that they can just jump off the ground appropriately and not have urine leakage because their hips yep. are too weak to support all those structures. So, I mean, there's a couple things there just would be almost a regular orthopedic examination, Absolutely. which you would see in just, you know, any other orthopedic, you know, facility. But then when we talk about the pelvic floor, that's when we talk about a little bit more intimate, potentially, you know, um, pelvic exam. And so the pelvic exam is always explained to the patient. We use a pelvic model and we explain the muscles. We talk about the function of the muscles. And then we usually start by examining an externally. And then if the patient is comfortable and gives verbal consent or signs a consent form, mm -hmm. then we do an internal examination. And for some patients, that's a vaginal exam. In some cases, that's a exam. It depends on what they're coming in for and what their complaints are. So if you uh, fractured your tailbone, we're probably going to be doing a rectal examination because that's how you access that area. And it's very, it's much more effective. You can't really reach it from the vaginal area. But it, most patients are fairly comfortable with that, especially having just had a child. Most mm -hmm. patients are sort of ready for, yes, whatever this problem is, I want it to be, I want to know what's going on. I want to fix it. What can I do? And that often is part of it, but not always. There are lots of things we can do, especially in a patient who has a lot of pain um, or has had any history of sexual trauma. Those are types of things that we're very careful about taking our time, building rapport and giving the patient options and always letting them stop the exam or stop the treatment at any point that they're uncomfortable. There's always things that we can do without doing yeah. internal. That's incredible. Okay. So where do we go from here? Let's... Um, the the three kind of big topics that we get the most first is can we talk about sex a little bit absolutely all right let's talk about so everybody kind of knows six weeks they can have sex again woohoo let's go you know and i feel like there's this misnomer that at six weeks sex is supposed to be comfortable it's supposed to be enjoyable it's supposed to be great and when it's not, I feel like women all of a sudden sometimes can feel like they're failing. They're failing their spouse. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing or their partner, you know, and all of a sudden it's, it's like this cascade effect of, oh my gosh, what, what, what am I supposed to do? So can we talk a little bit about what happens with that pelvic floor between when it's carrying fluid and a baby and then the baby comes out? What's happening in those six weeks after the baby is born? And yeah, the answer in everything is it depends. Absolutely. So it depends on the mode of delivery, yep. meaning was it a C-section or was it a planned C-section? So mm -hmm. emergency versus planned will have different outcomes there yep. as far as pelvic floor. And then or was it a vaginal delivery? When you get to vaginal deliveries, you're saying, was it, you know, unmedicated? Um, was there any episiotomy or cutting? Um, was there tearing? 
did did the uh, provider use a vacuum or a forceps delivery? So vacuum and forceps are called instrument deliveries, and those are associated with higher risks of tears, higher rates and risks of tears, which is going to take longer to heal. And those patients tend to have more trouble with getting back to having pain-free intercourse. So that the six to eight week thing, you know, I'm obviously seeing a population of patients that have problems. So I would say that I see a lot of people with problems getting back mm-hmm. to intercourse. However, I think it is really unfortunate that the expectation is a six to eight week. I mean, having gone through this a couple times myself, that sounds ridiculous. Just thinking of having no sleep, hardly yep. really eating any meals. You know, you're not even usually exercising regularly. You don't have any time to yourself. You don't, even if you're breastfeeding, your chest doesn't even really belong to you, let alone do you want it to belong to like a partner. Yep. That just seems like a lot. And my personal experience was not a six to eight week, you know, hearts, rainbows, ponies. No, Absolutely. I don't think so. <laughs> um, I asked my husband last night because I knew that we were going to be talking about yeah. things like this. And mm-hmm. I said, what do you remember about that? And it was like, he remembered nothing about it. But I mean, we did, yeah. we got back to normal yeah. at one point, but I, but it was like, it didn't, maybe because I am a provider yeah. and I probably talked about don't expect this and don't expect that. And oh, this happened and, you know, be aware. Um, but I, but I don't think that I'm a normal patient. Yeah. I think that I have to, you know, more education than your average patient, but it is, a, it is, it is very challenging. And I think one of the things that I've seen happen is you see a patient and you explain to them, just like we're talking about mm-hmm. now, that's a pretty lofty expectation. You, you know, you had a tear or, you know, you had a large baby or whatever. You had some event that happened or you just had a baby and it went Absolutely. fine, but yeah. things got really stretched out Yeah, um, and you're just not ready and you're not feeling like your tissues are all happy. And I think we need to allow patients the space to be accepting of that. And I've had several patients get misty or cry because no one told them that that was okay to say, I'm not ready. Absolutely. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And no one's having a conversation with their partner or in the presence of their partner. And I think you said this in a, in a way that, you know, the, the patient often feels um, ashamed or embarrassed or mm-hmm. confused about what their expectation is. And they don't, they shouldn't have the responsibility as the patient to say to their partner, I'm not ready and have that be a negative feeling for them. Being able to say, I'm not ready or, you know, anything to that nature should be empowering. Honestly, Absolutely. it should be saying, I know my body and my body's not ready for this. And by the way, can you take the baby for a walk so I can take a nap? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's postpartum in general, like especially in the United States. It's, it's just really not, hard. it's not a celebrated, cherished time where women get the support that they need. Um, so it really warms my heart that not only are they coming in and working on their pelvic floor muscles, they're coming in and it sounds like getting to have a conversation yeah. and, Holy moly, do we need more people touching postpartum women in a, yeah. you know, in a, in a special. Yeah. You know. And positive touch is Absolutely. so important. So if you can get to a person and say, why don't you just, you know, have a neck massage or get your feet rubbed? I mean, <laughs> that is so sexy when you're postpartum. <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah. And you're probably going to have a nice little nap. But Absolutely. like, those are the things that you're going to reconnect with your partner Absolutely. on. I mean, yeah. I'm not 
I'm not a psychologist. I'm not mm-hmm. a therapist. But I feel like some days that's the role that I play. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we do is, and we hear those patients. We see them for a long period of time. We create a really strong rapport and they bond with us and they share things. And so I think, and if you're going to be doing pelvic floor work, mm-hmm. there's a pretty intimate relationship going Absolutely. on there with your provider. You're telling their provider things that you may not have told your partner. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, um, it's nice for us as a, as a, provider. I feel really connected to my patients and I feel like they trust me. Um, but we need, we need to empower them to talk to their partners and bring their partners to therapy. I've done that a bunch. That's awesome. Yeah. It's great when they show up. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a wonderful place where like there was this tiered approach to, you know, postpartum childbirth, you know, where you had, you know, the midwife available and then you had, you know, the post, you know, it's just, it's, there's so much more opportunity to really make this a special time and empower our moms after they have a baby. Yep. Um, What are some of like the most seen problems that you, that are interfering or impacting um, sexual intercourse that you see? So uh, scars, okay. so perineal scars, meaning a scar from either an episiotomy or a tear. Okay. That's one of the big ones. Is that because there's scar tissue that's formed that affects mm-hmm. Yeah. The- All scars make scar tissue. It's just a matter of some people scar worse than others, and it depends on exactly where it's located. It also probably depends on your partner. And if you're having vaginal intercourse, and we're talking about a penis and vagina, yep. you might be talking about how big the sizes are and do they match up because sometimes... It's a bigger partner. So then you're um, basically stretching that scar. Is yeah. that what's happening? Okay. Yeah, we do we work locally on the scar. But in what therapy. I what I'm saying is the pain is coming from oh, the yes. stretching just to try and help people who are not. Yes, yes. You know. It's it's oh but it's almost I mean, people will complain of a tearing sensation. It doesn't feel like, oh, that's stretching. It, they don't come in saying that. Like it just <laughs> makes me like it's just it's, it makes me just want to scream at the top. Like because it's crazy to me that there's an episiotomy that sometimes happens, sometimes happens without consent. Sometimes yes. women don't even know that they have one or they have been given one, you know, because sometimes care providers don't necessarily even call it what it is. Then they're told at six weeks, sometimes in front of their partner, okay, it's fine, go have sex. Right. And then we're putting a penis into a vagina right above a tear mm-hmm. like that has been stitched that's basically a full incision. In more, Yeah, I mean, medically, they're saying... You are clear yeah. and it's healed enough for you to do that if you want to and it doesn't hurt you. But it but it doesn't include all of that in the disclaimer <laughs> in front of the partner usually. Absolutely. So I think there's a little tiny piece yeah, I'm missing. Sorry. I, don't, I don't mean to go back. It's just <laughs> it always ba- it, like it's just incredible to me. Yeah. I'm so happy there are people like you that also can explain to women what has happened to their body because yeah. I don't think that that That's step normal. always happens. I would yeah. call that normal. And scars, any any scar on your body anywhere, we in physical therapy work on those scars for up to two years pretty aggressively usually. Usually these do get better very quickly, but mm-hmm. you have to work on it and you have to know how to work on it. And we are the people that teach you that. Um, one of the other big things that we see as far as uh, painful intercourse is changes to the tissue because of lower estrogen. Okay. So after you deliver, think your hormone levels change and you you can drop pretty significantly. And so some patients, their vaginal tissues, even if they didn't tear, 
but sometimes it could go either way. But just normal tissues can be really thin and okay. feel thin and like ripping when somebody presses on them. And you can really feel this if you put your hand on somebody's tissues. You can feel at the pelvic opening, the vaginal opening at the bottom. We call that six o'clock if you're thinking of okay. the, the opening like a mm-hmm. clock in a circle. Yep. So the bottom is six o'clock. And at that opening, if you press your finger down and then you sort of grab the tissue a little bit, it can get very thin and like almost papery in some patients and stringy. I call it stringy. So it doesn't feel bad bouncy like a trampoline. It feels rigid. It feels hard. And that is like a, almost like a transient menopausal vagina for a short amount of time. In those patients, a lot of times, um, nurse midwife or a physician or whoever they're working with can have them apply some estrogen cream locally. And that will make a enormous difference. It usually happens in the patients who are breastfeeding and they're not ready to be done, which that's fine. They can do whatever they want to do with breastfeeding, but that tends to be associated with breastfeeding because it changes some of the hormonal levels. I think breastfeeding also has been known to cut down a little bit on like vaginal secretions as well. Yeah. You can feel a little bit more dry. So we also talk to patients about lubrications and um, other options for moisturizing. I can imagine that those two things combined, though, aren't a good, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot we can do with that, though. That's a pretty easy recommendation. And if most patients of childbearing age, there's no reason that it's not safe for them to have that item. So I've done that in several cases, and it's made a huge difference. Usually within two or three weeks, the patient can tell a difference. And then they'll usually stay on that for a couple months. Um, And then when when they're done breastfeeding, or as the tissues kind of bulk up, they'll wean them off of it. So it's not long term, it's usually only a couple months or so. It's fascinating. Um, Anything else you want to talk about on the the sex topic before we before we move so we talked about scars mm-hmm. and we talked about hormone changes and it's okay if you're not ready you know i mean i think that that's such a major major thing because the amount of sex questions that we get and they're not always like hey i'm ready to have sex but it's uncomfortable it's like hey we're having sex and it's uncomfortable yes and it's like this yes it's usually know. after they've yeah. tried absolutely and then there's a level of confusion or disappointment or concern or you know just needing more knowledge is there anything having to do with orgasms at all is that is there any sometimes um a lot of the patients they haven't even attempted that yet Mm -hmm. but um if i mean a lot of women don't orgasm with with vaginal intercourse anyway the majority of women do not so Sometimes if a patient is trying to like improve the lubrication, the natural Mm -hmm. lubrication, or they're trying to improve their, you know, activity with their partner and get more sexual touch and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. If they have, you know, the idea of wanting to do that, I think that's great because having an orgasm is going to bring all this lovely blood flow and circulation and things get a little more like moist and excited. And usually even in my non-postpartum patients, anyone who's having painful intercourse, if we want to get them back to having pain-free intercourse, I usually encourage trying to have an orgasm before penetration. And it can make a big difference. So it's it's a nice way of allowing the person to kind of get in their headspace on mm-hmm. it, get their partner involved, focus on the female first, the, that partner at least first, and then because that's the person experiencing the discomfort. If we overload the brain with all this lovely, uh-huh. happy like stuff, yeah yeah absolutely. it definitely can help kind of 
decrease some of the worry. Because a lot of what this is, is fear-based. Once Mm -hmm. you have one experience with pain and intercourse, your body remembers that. And it's, you, it takes so much work to undo it. And that's, that's what we do. But any positive touch you can give in that area is helping. It's fascinating. I feel like that's like the nugget of the conversation so far is the the try to orgasm first and it's like we talk we we had a we had a very inappropriate work conversation the other day about you know sex is because it's a whole bunch of moms that work here so many young kids um and we were talking about like just you know sex and how often we have it and completely inappropriate stuff thank goodness we don't have an hr department but uh you know we were talking about and my my thing is always because it always it always comes up at least once a year and you know people look to me sometimes because i have the largest family apparently and i'm just like you just got to put your shoes on and go to the gym it's just like you always mm-hmm. when you're walking out the door to go to the gym like you know you'll feel better when you come home but you just gotta you gotta lace up your sneakers and you gotta get out the door so i mean i think that if you can start with some positive touch that gets things moving you know yes also I think after you have children and this is my this is nothing research based (laughs) I know just me but 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 I I think that after you have children you're like okay six six minutes yeah yeah Yeah. we can do that ready go Uh, I mean yes some people need to warm up and some people need that but like one partner can be like putting a kid to bed and the other partner can be warming up and then you can go do what you need to do and it only needs to take three minutes (laughs) and everybody's happy and everybody's safe and everybody's happy and And that's that's what you're saying I think is true sometimes you just have to put you know say I'll feel better after yeah you have to turn your mom brain off and you have to say you know what this is going to be great and it's good for my body and once you deal with the pain stuff yeah absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, okay. Let's move on to this word that I hear a lot about, which is prolapse. Can you explain to me the definition of a prolapse? A prolapse is a droopy organ. Okay. It it not staying up where it anatomically started in your body. Okay. So if you think about um, prolapse, could be of your bladder. It can be of your vagina or your vaginal vault. Your uterus can sort of slump down, if you will. Okay. Um, Your rectum can sort of slump. All these are like slumpy organs. If you think about it like posture, it's Mm -hmm. like it loses its posture. Okay. (laughs) Um, And also there are other things that can happen too, but it basically means an organ that's lost some support. And anything that loses support, you're wondering, is it from pressure from above mm-hmm. or is it from poor support from below? And that's the question that the therapist needs to answer. And so we, you know, we, that's what we do in our examination. When we see the patient, we say, okay, what's going on with the support below the organs, which includes the connective tissues and the pelvic floor muscles and ligaments and things like that versus what is the person doing? So for example, if we talk about running, mm-hmm. um, running, if you're breathing in a way that pushes on the organs when you get really tired, it could be actually physically putting more pressure on the organs. So maybe that person needs to learn how to negotiate their breathing so, so that they can manage okay. that while they run. And maybe they also need a little pelvic floor strengthening to support from the bottom. But the combination of those two things might be a really important winning solution. Um, patient, patients who breath hold, that's, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of things that push on the pelvic area. So anything that you do that might be holding your breath. So a good topic for that is constipation. Okay. And that's pretty common in pregnancy also. Yeah. Um, hormonally driven 
perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All these things we can blame on our hormones. Absolutely. Um, but, but constipation is a big driver. And so if you're pushing and straining, not only are you potentially pushing on organs, you have hormones that kind of increase the laxity. So the organs are more bouncy, stretchy anyway. And then you can potentially have hemorrhoids if you're talking about constipation, which is not so lovely. So I mean, I think there's other things too, of course, um, bouncing around, like running for a long period of time. Yeah. And, and some patients are historic, like they do have in their medical history, they have connective tissues that are bouncier than your average. Okay. Some people know that before pregnancy. Some people don't. They only find it out because they start having problems during pregnancy or postpartum. But that is a risk factor for prolapse. So how does like, I know from just having babies, you know, our body produces relaxin, mm-hmm. I guess, when we're relaxin pregnant. Relaxin is one of the hormones, yeah. So that is going to naturally relax some of our ligaments and tissues while we're pregnant. Correct. correct. Is that eventually, once that goes away, are they like rubber bands at that point? Are they already stretched out or will they go back to... No, it does, you, don't get it, you don't get back your bouncy stuff. Okay. Um, so if you... It's like a rubber band that kind of gets stretched out yep. and then put in the sun. Yeah. Kind of. It's kind of just gets a <laughs> it doesn't necessarily snap, but you can stretch and stretch and stretch. Um, the Like if you're, it could be any of the organs. So let's take constipation, for example. So constipation, pretty prevalent in pregnancy. So if you're constipated, there's like at the bottom of your pelvis where your bowel fills up, you start to feel pressure that you need to go to the bathroom. If you can't go because it won't come out and you're straining and pushing, so you go, okay, well, I'm leaving the bathroom. Then stool continues to fill up in the rectum. And what it essentially does is make like a pouch or a pocket and it can stretch forward towards your vagina. So that's where the prolapse can start. So it's like from not instead of being like sitting in the middle, your stool kind of presses towards the front of that area and you can continue filling up a lot. Those organs are very stretchy and they can fill and fill. And the longer it sits in there, the harder it is to get it out. The stool becomes drier, it becomes harder. And so it overstretches that vault that it's a holding space, but it overstretches like a balloon gets overstretched. So if you think of a balloon and you blow a balloon up the first time, it goes back to its original size. But every time you blow it up, it's sort of like easier to blow up and it loses some of its stretch. Yep. That's a great analogy for what happens. So you don't necessarily, even if you start going to the bathroom with constipation and you say, well, I'm going to soften my stool. I'm going to drink a ton of water. I'm going to use my squatty potty. I'm going to do all these things <laughs> and use my hands to kind of push and splint and all this stuff. Those are all good techniques, but it's not going to make the prolapse go away. It's just going to help reduce the symptoms. You're still going to have a stretched area. So okay. you always have to continue managing that unless you eventually do some pelvic floor therapy say, can or we, can we get the balloon back? Um, no, close to the original size. You no, you cannot, you can, it's very difficult. So if you came to pelvic floor therapy and you said, I want to reduce this prolapse, it depends on how severe it is. How do you know you have a prolapse? Yeah. You feel it or you see it. So if you put a mirror, if you feel a bulgy thing, people will say it feels like they're sitting on a ball or a marble or something like that. And if you put your hand, you'll feel something kind of bulging out. Um, the different organs do feel slightly different from the okay. different walls of the vagina. So that's one area that you can feel. So if you put your hand in your vagina and you like cough or push or something like that, and you feel like your fingers being pushed out or something comes out of your body, you might have a prolapse. Okay. A prolapse should be confirmed by 
a physician doing an examination. So, you know, you can, you can see your, if you have an OBGYN, you can see a midwife, they can all diagnose that. I work a lot with urogynecologists, so they will diagnose that very often. And they have a special test they do called the POPQ fancy name for a test. And that's a test where you make a measurement um, from the vaginal opening to the length of a tissue. And then the person kind of pushes or bears down and it looks at the movement of that tissue with the pressure. And so that's the test that's out there right now. That's the standard. So we get the patients usually who have a what's called a grade one, grade two, and sometimes a grade three. A grade one and two is pretty mild and they don't come out of the body. But a grade three will be one, if I bear down or I push, you will see it come out of the body. And so once you start having things coming out, there's also a grade four. A grade four is out of the body before you even strain or push. That's not physical therapy appropriate. That's like surgery. That's usually surgical. Yeah. But a grade three, sometimes you can really lift and support and get that to feel or look more like a grade two and be not as symptomatic. So, I mean, it depends on the person. We don't usually see that severe of grades in our postpartum ladies, but there are a few here and there. Uh, Most of the time it's a one or a two, and those are very rehab friendly. So we usually are doing significant exercise. We're managing intra-abdominal pressure with our breathing. We work a lot on the abdominal compartment and the core muscles, which is a huge topic. Um, But the pelvic floor is part of the core. So it's all Really, we treat so the core. That's sort of like what we do. You know what I love about this is like we're totally destigmatizing it. Like you are talking about it because you do it every single day and you're like, hey, it's not a big deal. You yes. know, I see people yes. who like it is a big deal to them. But I know I know yes. for a fact that there are women sitting at home and are saying, oh, my gosh, I am so scared that something yeah. is wrong down there. But yeah. I'm so scared that. I'm going to go somewhere and they're not, they're going to tell me that I'm broken or that it's going to be weird or it's not going to be like, you talk about it. Like you do it every day because you do do it every day. Yeah. One of my favorite things that happens in the office. um, And I think it's really lovely. And it's such a nice moment is the patient. When a patient says, this is going to sound really weird, but, or I bet no one's ever told you this, but, and in my head, I'm saying, hundred times, Uh, you know, I've seen it a hundred times, whatever they're going to say, whatever thing they think is weird. I've definitely seen it before. And it always is. It's always like, well, I sometimes push with my hand and it, and that's what makes me go to the bathroom. And I'm like, great, you're doing the exact thing that I would teach you. Let's talk about that. And they are so relieved. And I'm like, your intuition was right. And that is so amazing to see someone's face when you're like, your intuition oh, was right. You were doing such good work. Yeah, I love great. it. Yeah. See, that's what I say to the patient. Oh, like you I said, it. I just say, this is normal for me. I do this yeah. all day, every day. And people do things like apologize for not shaving, which yeah. I think is hilarious. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not looking at your legs. I'm not looking at, you know, yeah. I, I, and I don't want them to shave their lady parts that opens up the skin to possible irritation and infection. We don't need that. It's not important. Um, So, you know, it's very, it's very interesting that, yeah, the expectation and the perception out there. Yeah. yeah, All this seems very normal to me. And I love it. I love the way you talk about it too, because it's, it's it's your jam and I love it. Yeah. I love it too. (laughs) Um, And I just, I feel like so comfortable. I mean, I'm not going to drop my pants and be like, Hey, do I have, you know, but I think it's fantastic. Like I would come go see someone. I would absolutely because it's, you know, just get used to just, speaking with somebody who does it every day and it's Mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, I'm going to jump on really fast and see some of these questions that we got on Instagram today and see which ones we have talked about and which ones we haven't. Okay. 
So we talked about prolapses, but I believe that bladder leaks are a little different than that. Yeah. Like, so any kind of incontinence? Yeah. Do you have specific yeah. questions um, about incontinence? I mean, I have one. I mean, we just got a trampoline for the first time as a family. Like, will I ever be able to jump on that trampoline without... Eh, you know, for more than a few minutes after five kids. Do you like, want to come to some pelvic floor I mean, PT? <laughs> I mean, I might, I might want to because the kids want me to jump, jump, jump. You have several children. I, I, I mean, I maybe I should. It's not, if you've never done pelvic floor rehab, you sound like an appropriate candidate. Probably. I yeah. mean, there's been a lot of stuff going on down there. Yeah. Um, yes, okay, is the on. answer. You should. And that is a pretty common joke that's out there in the world is about the jumping on trampolines for sure. Um, and it's accepted that you're going to have leakage also acceptable in the world is the crossfit patients who have urine leak that's yeah. relatively acceptable in the world but shouldn't be i mean we were talking i um was working out and they were talking about how if you do there was the they're the um jumping jacks but if you do jumping jacks the other way there was like the mom jumping jacks and the regular the front to jumping back jack. jumping jacks yeah. and i mean it's just funny because like it's like, let's modify jumping jacks. But instead, it isn't like, it's like, that's just your life now. Those are your jumping jacks. As opposed to, you know, go mm-hmm. go to physical therapy because that's, you know. It can get better. Yeah. Yeah, it can get better. Um, okay. So the there are about three on here that are just basically bladder leaks. Like what, okay. what can we do about that? It depends on the type of leakage. So urine leakage um, is called incontinence. Any mm-hmm. type of unwanted urine leakage. So it could be you're on your way to the bathroom and you can't quite get there in time. That's an urge-related leakage. So that's urge incontinence. Um, it could be from a sneeze or a cough or jogging. Any kind of force is called stress incontinence. So the stress means a physical stressor. That's the definition. Some people have both types. So they get labeled as a mixed urinary incontinence. So if you see MUI or mixed UI, that's mixed urinary incontinence. And that means you have some of both kinds. There are vastly different treatments for the different types of incontinence. Most of our postpartum patients are stress incontinence. The muscles are weak, they're tired, they haven't turned back on, and they're doing activities because they're a parent and they have to pick up a baby and they've got to squat down and they can do in the dishes and whatever, and they're doing all of their normal life things. They're climbing the stairs and maybe trying to do some jumping jacks, hopefully not before <laughs> 8 to 12 weeks. Yeah. Um, but, but those are things that are stressors, and that's what we usually see. It's usually partially about giving the body time to heal Okay. But starting pelvic floor exercise is safe if done correctly and gently one to two weeks after delivery. We should be doing that with patients. We should be starting that. Um, Really, it would be so great. This is a dream of mine to have some therapists working in the acute care field in the hospital, seeing you, you know, second or third day and teaching you about using your pelvic floor and how to support your pelvic muscles Mm -hmm. after you have the baby so you can go to the bathroom without pain and things like that so that we can start the process of healing a lot sooner. Because I don't see patients until at least six or eight weeks, sometimes longer. I think my midwife gave me after I've had a lot of babies with her, but I want to say after the first one I had with her within 24 hours, I had a piece of paper about pelvic floor exercises. It's amazing. In my hand. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, I know. You're I'm in the just, minority. I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm saying though, is it's not that hard. Like it's not, it's, it's your, it's, it's probably not, provider driven yeah. from, from what you, mm-hmm. your experience was, was that provider it's knew. New. That 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 would be helpful to you and had educated themselves or was educated in some way. I have to say, 
one of the things that I do find is nurse midwives in general Mm -hmm. tend to have a little bit more connectivity to the pelvic floor physical therapist and what we do and recognize that need a little bit earlier. Not all the time. We have some fantastic physicians and, you know, in this area, but it just, that tends to be a trend. We see a lot of that at VCU as well. We, We see early, early referrals from our midwife, lovely people. How do you feel, this is kind of off topic, not really off topic, but how do you feel about all of the I, vagina trainers that are now being sold? That That's a great question. I would I would love, I know I'm kind of throwing this at you. It no, you're fine. About beforehand, um, but. So yeah, so you're talking about smart devices? Yeah. Like that, your, your yep. Bluetooth pelvic mm-hmm. floor trainer. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to name any products. Yep. But because I don't have one. Yep. I didn't endorse any specific ones. We usually give patients options for things. Mm-hmm. There are pluses and minuses, of course. But this is a new topic for sure. Absolutely. And I, I do love the idea. Yes. Whereas you all definitely, I feel like, need to be you know on the front lines, people doing it. But there's always this little twist when a startup, especially with like a Bluetooth, it's going to kind of be a tech startup. They're going to have some business knowledge. Mm-hmm. They're kind of working a little bit to destigmatize it too. I don't love the fact that they're selling really expensive things, but <laughs> they're talking about it. And pelvic floor yeah. health is showing up on your Facebook feed, yep. or you know, which yep. Hopefully brings people your way too, but that's just that's my little caveat. But I think you always, yeah, it's good to establish care with a with a trained therapist who can help make a recommendation. There are a ton of different items out there. There are pelvic floor stretching tools like Mm -hmm. dilators and then the little and then wands and all these special things and some of them are shaped like an s and some of them are a stick with a little curve and some of them have vibration and some of them don't and some of them gradually get longer and some of them gradually get wider and you're like oh my gosh which one do i choose yeah guess what we know what you need after we evaluate you so cs will help you but then there's this new device situation so smart devices for the pelvic floor there are those are basically biofeedback if you it's a feedback mechanism where it's usually a pressure sensor so it's like a little air filled item and most of them are made of silicone right now like medical grade silicone and you insert it usually a vaginal insertion kind of option where it then connects to an app on your phone which for our our population now makes a ton of sense we're doing everything on our phones now. Yep. So it's with you wherever you go. You can do your Kegels with your whatever item it is that you have. And, you know, and it's pretty, it's made to be very user friendly yeah. and they're trying to make them pretty and trying to make yeah. them in a nice packaging. And so they're easy to clean and easy to use. Yeah. And some of them are made like a, like a video game for your pelvic floor, which is kind of awesome if you grew up with Mario Kart. Absolutely. Like, you know, yeah, I who love wouldn't want to do something like that with their yeah. pelvic floor? Yeah. Um, so, I think in that way, it's fantastic because there's motivational tools. So when you squeeze, when you do Mm -hmm. a correct Kegel, you squeeze and you lift your pelvic muscles, you get feedback on the screen. And so the butterfly flies up or the bar goes up or the dolphin jumps in the air or whatever it is that's on your screen moves. And I could be doing that right now, but you can't tell. I can't tell. Right. So, so that's, what's really nice about these tools. Most of the time, these are done at home in the privacy of your home. Um, And that that's, that's the biofeedback. And that is, bluetooth for the most part there's a there's a whole bunch of them out there and most of them are waterproof or at least water resistant you know and they explain how to use them they give you all this information about lubricants there's games there's tracking um so there's all these things that you can learn from that and that is actually i think a great 
option for a lot of patients. If you come and see me and you can't quite figure out how to get your muscles turned back on, how are you going to work on that when I don't see you for three or four weeks? You're going to potentially use a device. So that gives you feedback that maybe you don't have a therapist with you, but you have your device. So that can be really helpful and motivational. Because if you don't know how hard to squeeze and you're not yep. squeezing correctly, it's it, it's like you don't want to waste your time, especially being a mother. You're like, I don't have time for this. Absolutely. So as long as if you know something's really useful to you and you feel like you're really getting a payoff, you're probably yep. more likely to do it. Yeah. There are some devices out there that actually make the muscles squeeze, which are electrical devices. Like a TENS unit or something? Like a TENS unit, but not a TENS unit traditionally is a pain treatment. So it's applied in an area of discomfort. Um, And so it surrounds that area and it it sends messages to your brain and it tricks your brain. That is not exactly what we're doing here. There's many types of electrical devices. This is a type of device that let's say you had an ACL surgery and your quad was super flaccid and we couldn't get it to sort of turn on and you couldn't Mm -hmm. kick your leg. You can apply electro pads. They're like pre-gelled electrodes for the skin. And crank up the electrical stimulation, which we call that Russian stim, which okay. is pretty funny because it actually makes your muscles squeeze and pretty okay. intensely. So your leg will just kick out and that helps turn on your muscle and helps reeducate your muscle. Okay. And as funny as that is to see a body part move like a leg muscle, yeah. it actually can do that on your pelvic floor. Wow. So if you're having a really hard time turning your muscles on and you just don't feel like you're getting it, there are ways to facilitate muscle activity. So that's one of the things that you can do. So there's insertable devices that have sensors There's also non-insertable devices. There are some newer things on the market out there, which um, not a lot of research. So there are things that the layperson can buy that they internally turn on. Like, yes, kind of scares me a little bit. It is. Well, see, that's where the the medical provider (laughs) should be involved. So there are people who should not be using electrical devices on their body. Yeah. If you just buy something online and, and start using it, there is a possibility that that might not be a good idea for you for a number of reasons. Um, And so I obviously I'm a provider. So I think that working with a provider works really well. And I think there's a lot of little tips and tricks that can make that appropriate, more comfortable and a lot less daunting. And also make sure you're doing the thing that you're trying to do. So if you're trying to make the muscle stronger, am I using it correctly? Am I turning it up appropriately? Is it on the right program? You may not know all that. So I, I feel strongly that a patient bring in that item to the physical therapy office. And then we do it together because there's always tweaks and tips and things like that. And even patients who really are get still getting a benefit out of it, there's always things that I can say, well, if you really want to do, you know, more strengthening and it doesn't hurt you, turn it up. It's going to, you're going to get more, more yeah. is better for that kind of thing. So I, I think there's a lot to learn there. And it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It, it is. And I, I actually really love when patient bring a patient brings in an item that I've never seen because yeah. then I get to learn too. Learn about it. And I can recommend it to somebody else if it's yeah. appropriate. So it's fantastic. So many gadgets and toys. Oh, so much. I feel like will you come back another day? We'll yeah. talk about it again. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. We'll we'll talk we'll talk about what we're gonna talk about. Tell me a little bit about how local moms who are listening can find you, find the practice at VCU. Yeah, you can I resources. mean you can literally Google my name. Okay. Um, but we do have other providers at VCU and there are other providers in Richmond and there's a lot of lovely providers in Richmond, many of which are friends of mine. <laughs> and we have a nice community of providers. Um, and so I think what you can do, so there's two big companies and I wrote them down so I wouldn't tell you the wrong thing <laughs> exactly. So 
the Physical Therapy Association is a national association, and then we have uh, websites for each specialty. So if you go on the web and you type in www.aptapelvichealth.org, there will be a Find a PT link on that website. If you have the need for a provider in the area and you're listening to this podcast, really it could be anywhere because it's by zip code. So you can be anywhere in the United States and you can search by your zip code for a specialist and it will list if they do prenatal and postpartum, it will list that. If they just do male pelvic floor, it will list that. So usually there's a list of things that that person does and then it has contact information and usually a website and things like that. The other, uh, group that does specialty training in the United States is called the Herman and Wallace group. And they do, um, all kinds of courses and things like that, just like the national association. And so if you want to look on their website, there is a provider directory, www.pelvicrehab.com. And it'll take you right to their provider directory. And then other resources that I think are really helpful. There are some websites for patients that are patient driven. So people who are looking for other people, I I would be a little bit cautious with the Facebook groups and that kind of stuff, because sometimes that kind of gets you into a little bit of a tailspin of bad things and hearing all the negative things. Yep. But sometimes it's good. Yeah. But there is a group called voices for PFD.org. And Voices for PFD is pelvic floor dysfunction, is the PFD. So it's about all things pelvic floor dysfunction, and it is supported by the um, the gynecological American gut, uh, AUGS, AUGS. It's okay. supported by AUGS. And so it's a, but it's patient driven. It was started by patients and it's a really great resource. So if you're looking for downloads and things like that, you're looking for more information, it kind of encompasses anything that would be called a pelvic floor problem from urinary bowel, pain, That's prolapse, amazing. any of those things. So you can learn, even if you don't have all those things, you could learn a little bit about things there. I kind of like just wrapping up, you know, the major thing that I I definitely want people, especially moms who have just had babies or at home right now, like you deserve to be comfortable. Like that's, that's like the number one thing. Like you deserve to either bring your newborn baby in with you or find, find somebody to watch your baby and go make sure you're comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many women who walk around wearing depends because they are, they do have some sort of incontinence or something like that. And they just think that they have to live with it. You know, put yourself first. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really hard. I think it's really difficult because I've seen, you know, patients say sometimes, well, I mentioned that to my doctor, but they didn't say anything. And so if they, if they do voice a concern and Mm -hmm. nothing happens with that, or maybe it's not the top priority because there's something else medically going on, it sometimes doesn't really get addressed. And that person maybe thinks, well, maybe it's just normal. Maybe I'm, maybe that's not something that they have any tools for me. And so they may not bring it up again. And I do think there's a lot of like stress or struggles and being pulled in many directions. If you already have another child and you, you know, you have a job that you're trying to get back to doing. And if you don't have any family support other than your other, your partner and your partner's working, there are a lot of things to do in the day. And it's hard to get to that part where you do you. And I, I, I've seen, and you know, obviously had tons of patients, but I see it in my friends. I see it in my family. Um, I've seen it in myself. It's really, really tough. And the thing that I think that I hear you saying, and I, and I think is true is we have to ask, 
Yep. Sometimes no one's going to bring you solutions and just check in on you and gently put their hand on your shoulder and say, are you doing okay? Sometimes you really do have to say, I am not okay and I need help. And you have to find, yeah. somehow find that support. And hopefully by listening to this, yeah. people will at least know more about the physical yeah. support that's out there. But but yeah, it's re- it's really tough. It's tough being a, being a new parent. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for loving on mamas every day. Yeah. Like it sounds like you do so much more than just, you know, the physical therapy piece. So yeah, I try. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for being in the trenches with us. And yep. thanks for all the, the love you give everybody every day. I plan to be Very there amazing. a long time. Awesome. Thank well, you thank so you. much for having me. It's thanks been for wonderful. being here.